0: This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times, where we analyse the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. This is Audrey Tan.
1: And this is David Fogarty. And today, our guest is Mr. Lauri Malivierta, a Helsinki-based analyst from the Centre for Research on Energy and Clean Air, who will be sharing insights today on the link between the COVID-19 lockdowns and air pollution. Welcome to the show, Lauri.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Before we begin, Lauri, could you start by giving our listeners an introduction to the center and the kind of research that is being done there?
2: We're a new research organization that was started December last year to fill the gap between academic research and policymaking and the kinds of decisions that are being made around the world that affect air quality and affect people's health. So what we do is we bring scientific modeling, data analysis and so on available to public debates and to decision-making in a responsive way to hopefully inform decisions being made about energy policy and other policies that affect the air that we breathe.
0: So Amin Larry, one of the latest studies that the centre has done was on how the lockdowns in Southeast Asia due to the COVID-19 pandemic has generally brought about cleaner skies in the region. So could you just give us a run-through about what the study found?
2: We found a very mixed impact. I think it's best understood by how these lockdowns are affecting different sectors. So obviously transport, number of cars on the street in big cities has been affected in a very big way, as people living in those places can see. And that's resulting in much better air quality in places where those cars are a major source of pollution. Mm -hmm. One striking thing, though, is that in many places where People think of cars as the main source of air pollution. Improvements in air quality have been much smaller, much less impressive than uh, people would have expected. That's true of Jakarta, of Hanoi, to an extent of Singapore, where shipping and industrial emissions are also significant sources. The places where we've seen the most dramatic improvements in air quality are places like Kuala Lumpur, Manila, where transport is the main source of emissions.
0: Okay, and also you mentioned the extent to which air quality improves depends on many factors, and it also depends on the sectors that are active. So what are some other factors that could contribute to these differences? I mean, other than transport, there's also power generation. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that.
2: Power generation, coal-fired power plants are a major source of air pollution for some major cities in Southeast Asia, especially Hanoi and Jakarta which have major clusters of coal-fired power plants around those cities. And emissions from those coal-fired power plants have been reduced much less than the emissions from local transport. So that's one of the reasons why Jakarta and Hanoi haven't seen as much of an improvement in air quality as those places that don't have coal-fired power plants. Another sector where emissions don't go down because of this kind of a lockdown is household cooking and fuel use. So in those places where you have a lot of people cooking with firewood or other highly polluting fuels, you don't have a major improvement in air quality. So Larry, just explain to listeners of Pep's
1: why burning coal and coal-fired power stations can lead to quite serious local air pollution, but also a bit further afield. I mean, what is it about coal and what's in the emissions that really can affect quite a large area, particularly around, say, Jakarta, which, as you say, has quite a number of coal-fired power
2: stations around it? The big thing is the massive amount of coal that is being burned. Coal is the dirtiest fuel in terms of uh, the amount of pollutants that you get per tonne of coal, and a single large coal-fired power plant will burn as much fuel as all the cars in a major city. So you get a massive amount of pollutants. They're emitted from a high stack. So the impact isn't as dramatic on the ground level right around the plant as it would be if you had a million cars packed on one industrial lot. But uh, uh, the regional impact is very profound because the pollution spreads over hundreds of kilometers. So, for example, for Hanoi, one thing that we've been consistently finding when we've been analyzing air pollution episodes is that the worst episodes take place when you have winds that transport pollution from the coal-fired power plant and industrial areas to the east and southeast of the city. Okay.
1: Now, tell us a little bit more about the methods used in the survey, which looked at quite a number of cities in Southeast Asia between, I think, February to May. What types of pollution did you look at and and what were the methods, for example? I think you looked at nitrogen dioxide using satellite imagery, for example.
2: The challenge for much of Southeast Asia is that there is still a major lack of monitoring of air quality. So you have very few monitors and those that we have don't monitor all the different species of air pollutants. That's luckily not true of Singapore. Malaysia, Thailand also have quite a bit of monitoring, but there is in Vietnam, Philippines, Indonesia, there is a major problem with the amount of monitoring that is available. So for those countries, we had to rely on satellite-based measurements of air pollutants, which have gotten a lot better in the past couple of years. Um, So we have quite detailed data, especially on nitrogen dioxide, which is a serious pollutant in and by itself. It increases asthma cases in children. It increases the number of deaths from uh, chronic diseases and so on. And it's also a marker for how much fossil fuel burning is taking place, because whenever you burn uh, fossil fuels, you get nitrogen dioxide. So we can use that to track what's happening with the other emissions from things like transport and power plants as well. And because these measurements are pretty high resolution. We can see what happened to the transport emissions inside a city versus to coal-fired power plants outside of the city versus crop burning in some countries where that was taking place and so on. So by seeing where the emissions take place, we can also get a sense of what's happening with the different sectors. For Singapore, we could see that the emissions in downtown Singapore went down, but the shipping emissions outside of the city, especially to the west, remained quite high. Might be even higher because you had a lot of ships anchored there.
0: So Laurie, you mentioned that the burning of fossil fuels like coal is a major contributor to air pollutants in the air. But the burning of fossil fuels also produces carbon dioxide, which is a major greenhouse gas that's causing the world to warm. So some people may ask why you know CO2 isn't being measured as a pollutant on a daily basis. Would you be able to explain why that's not being done right now?
2: For satellite-based measurements, it's very challenging to measure carbon dioxide from the space. It can be done, but it can't be done to the level where we can say that this power plant or this city is emitting a plume of uh, carbon dioxide and, and say how much emissions were coming out of that city yesterday versus today. There are countries that have reporting in place for hourly and daily CO2 emissions from large industrial plants. So those plants have monitors in their stacks usually for the purposes of CO2 emissions trading that we can then use to track the emissions on a daily basis. But your question is great in the sense that we definitely have the need to monitor and track CO2 emissions more closely. It's one of the most crucial indicators for the future of the planet and we only have very rudimentary annual reporting done by countries. Just imagine if things like employment or GDP were only reported once a year, often with a time lag of six or 12 months. That just doesn't convey the importance and that doesn't give enough information for policymakers to assess whether what they're doing is effective in reducing CO2 and whether there are trends that are in fact increasing emissions and so on. So a lot of our work has focused on developing ways to track carbon dioxide emissions on a much more granular basis. We've been publishing assessments of emissions in China, in India and so on, looking at daily and weekly trends. And one of the, as I mentioned, nitrogen dioxide, the air pollutant, is one of the proxies that we can use to track fossil fuel burning. So it's also a way of tracking what's happening with carbon dioxide emissions.
0: Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pulse on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or even on Spotify and like us and give us a rating. Now, back to our discussion on the COVID-19 lockdowns and their link to air pollution.
1: So we've seen similar studies around the world, uh, especially in places known for having high levels of air pollution, such as China. And of course, China is somewhere that you know very well, Larry, because you worked there for quite a number of years, uh, certainly with Greenpeace. But why this time focus on Southeast Asia? Why was that selected as the region of focus? Is that because it was kind of easier to study using the satellite data, or is that because it's a high growth area for emissions?
2: My conviction in general is that Southeast Asia is vastly undercovered in global media and global research efforts, especially countries like Indonesia, one of the biggest. Countries by population, by dynamism of the economy and so on, receive ridiculously little little attention compared with Europe or North America or even India and China. So in that sense, for us, prioritizing Southeast Asia has been an obvious part of how we've built up our program. Southeast Asia was one of the first regions where we hired a regional analyst. It's also one of the regions in the world most affected by air pollution, one of the most serious air pollution problems. And unfortunately, one of the only places where air pollution is still getting worse. And so, in fact, last year was the first time that Hanoi and Jakarta came to the same level of pollution as Beijing
1: mm. and,
2: and so on. So it's an area where air pollution needs to be paid a lot more attention to. It's an area that is harder to study because of the lack of air quality monitoring. And it's not the area where these lockdowns are having the most pronounced impact because of the sectors that are being affected. So transport in general is a smaller contributor to pollution in Southeast Asia than it is in um, Europe or North America because of the importance of the power sector, industrial sector and household sector.
1: So it kind of leads me to the last question in terms of how hopeful are you that in this part of the world that we will see a green recovery you know that public desire for cleaner skies to remain or what do you think the rush to restart economies is just going to override any public sort of demand for a cleaner environment i mean what sort of signs are you seeing
2: i think the big test will come when the pollution comes back will there be a reaction if you think back to what happened in china for example So air pollution was really bad already 15 years ago. Then we had the Olympics in Beijing, a lot of effort to improve air quality. And then pollution came even worse. And that's when public outrage on air pollution reached the boiling point. Uh, One thing that I'm expecting is that those places that have now seen exceptionally, maybe unprecedentedly good air quality, When the pollution comes back and health problems that come with it come back, then will that be a point when there's a major public reaction, a reaction that pushes stronger policies forward as well? The big question mark is what will these do when their power generators are struggling? Especially Indonesia and Vietnam have built coal-fired power plants ahead of demand. So they currently have overcapacity. that the financial impact on their power utilities is very significant. So will they take this as an opportunity to restructure and reorient, or will it be just handouts and, and perpetuating the status quo? I think it's too early to say what the decision is on that, but that will be one of the key questions that determines the outcomes from the recovery.
1: As you say, this will be a test, right, because there are a number of large coal-fired power stations that are being planned and not likely to reach financial close, particularly in Indonesia and Vietnam very soon. So whether this will then perhaps lead investors to rethink as to whether those power stations should really go ahead, and perhaps local communities might think that, given they've had a chance perhaps or seen elsewhere in their own countries there are blue skies, and maybe that that's that's the future that they want, not living under a a large coal-fired power station which sort of pollutes the air or the water
2: around them. Um, Yes. And the financial impact from this is significant. So most likely, a lot of power generators will require government support in every country where businesses require bailouts. The big question is, do you use the public resources, the public money that is being injected to steer those businesses to a greener direction?
0: So, well, thank you, Larry, for joining us on our podcast today.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Larry.
0: That's a wrap for Green Pulse and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast@sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.